coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and this is Liberal Guilt Radio, LGR. I am joined by my illustrious colleague, Ben. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I feel like with these really short names that we have, you use a word like illustrious mm-hmm. and colleague, and then you're like, Ben. Yeah, and like, exactly. Falls off at the end, but that's great. Because I'm not going to be like, well, actually, my name is Benjamin, and your right. la- and your name is like Leland Harvey Oswald. It's like one word. <laughs> That's right. Lucky shot, Leon. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could go with Benjamin and Lehman, like really go, uh, you know, old country on it. But I don't know. Mm, Benjamin. You get the gutter yeah, exactly. of Benjamin. Yeah, we yeah exactly. You go with the real clearing your throat after eating too much deli type yeah. pronunciation. Yeah, as, as everyone's name should have a somewhere in there. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. So, um, it's been quite a momentous uh, week or two or three or four since we last spoke because. Um, somebody that we've probably talked about on this program before and has certainly been talked about for decades the world round uh one of the most influential i would say international ambassadors uh uh figures of uh, policy um henry kissinger passed away mm. at a hundred years old he did a hundred a century a century of the kiss monster a century of the kiss monster kiss monster what really what really is horrible to me is paul servino who is the best version of henry kissinger which is of course the version of henry kissinger in oliver stone's underrated masterpiece nixon that he died before the older guy he was playing wow you know people say the kennedy assassination or trump or bush is like proof that we don't live in a democracy. No, Henry Kissinger is proof that we don't live in a democracy. This immigrant Jew coasting off the success of surviving the Holocaust comes into our country and using all of that great operation paperclip missile fire decides the course of American foreign policy for at least a decade, right? crazy it was the this... accent democracy has nothing on accents man it's true <laughs> that's right yeah that's right i think it is uh henry kissinger is interesting because his first real job was to denazify um he was he left before the war really the holocaust kicked into high gear so yeah just <laughs> to take a step back this dude grew up in motherfucking germany Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, not a religious guy, but a Jewish guy. And his family gets out when he's very young and, uh, you know, he enlists. And uh, in World War II, one of his jobs after the war, his main job is like denazifying because this dude spoke German, right? And he was a Jew. Um, And uh, he was able to like be the kind of intermediary between um, this version of German society that was like 
shell-shockedly trying to put itself back together under the uh you know oversight of the the conquering allies uh he was able to get through to these people and um denazify so to speak so that's the interesting thing about kissinger as a character as a figure of history because he's associated with what we would consider to be this genocidal fascist foreign policy in southeast asia of the nixon administration of just this like blind uh uh bombing of not only North Vietnam, but, you know, the, the Buddhist neutral country of Cambodia. Right. So here's a guy whose job comes, escapes the Nazis, goes back to Germany to denazify, then comes back to America and helps create the Nixon doctrine, which is uh, just, if you can't get the domestic support to put more troops in, but you need better diplomatic terms, just drop an atomic bomb worth of tonnage of bombs on some people that no one in your country really gives a shit about mm. until you get slightly better terms so you can be like, I have got peace with honor. And this, I think, is what Henry Kissinger would call real politic. Okay, mm. fine. So... You know, there's certain people who, uh, when they die, I'm going to feel weird. Like, I'll feel weird when Trump dies. I'm not going to be like, yeah, fuck Trump. I'll be like, oh, man, what a what a fucking fucked up crazy guy. Depending on what he does before he dies, this might sound different. But I'm not going to be like, yeah, man. <laughs> but like, when Henry Kissinger died, I was like, yeah, got his ass. You know, but 100 years old, 100 years old. This is why I don't believe in democracy or God, Ben. It's men like Henry Kissinger just spit in the face of it. <laughs> like the idea that like we live in a world where we have a choice about what our country does that's governed by a just and loving father figure. I need no proof more that that does not exist than the life and times of Mr. Henry Kissinger. Mm. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I figure, I mean, I don't know much about the guy, but his last name got the word kissing in it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's obviously a nice guy. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Uh, but no, totally. Actually, I mean, one thing that kept coming back, and I finally just looked it up tonight because I know Karl Rove is often attributed with this, the quote. Oh, the but, making history. You love this quote. I do. But then I just looked it up tonight and I realized it was actually that guy Suskind. Uh, the journalist Ron Suskind, who oh. did a first first person article in the New York Times, actually, in two, October of 2004. And he, he included a quote that he, he attributed to a senior advisor to Bush, which to this day, Karl Rove denies it. And Suskind says he can't talk about it. Mm. But interesting, like when you say real politics, and it's, it, you know, like whether you want to believe it or not it's that actions do obviously make reality and so they have this grandiose quote and i want to if i could i read this For real sure. quick and because the For beginning sure. of it because i didn't know the context of the beginning and, he, and it starts this is the article he said the aide said that guys like me were in what we call the reality-based community which he defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from you 
from your judicious study of discernible reality. I nodded and murmured something about enlightenment principles and empiricism. Um, he, he cut me off. That's not the way the world really works anymore. He, the aide, continued. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously, as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too, and that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. And, you know, I mean, doubtful that was Kissinger in the room, but... You know, at the end of the day, you can only study things and talk about things so much. And and he knew all those guys. Like, that's the thing is like, yeah, any person in a major foreign poll, even Trump, even Trump, who is like, I don't know, I was who I would say is a novice at <laughs> foreign policy. Uh, even he consulted with Kissinger. Oh, yeah, they I mean, all did. And I just kind of because a lot of people love like poking at this, like, oh, it's just like post-truth thing and i guess colbert report on his first episode ever yeah uh played into <laughs> this about the truthiness thing but it's like that is how the world works right at some point you do stop studying things and you need to make a decision and do something and so there's no exact right or wrong there's obviously some things that are horrendous yeah. actions i'm not saying that bombing the shit out of some country is, is, you know, as you described, like Cambodia, where the people who are doing, you know, the people from the country doing the bombing really don't have much knowledge of them at all. But at the end of the day, you're going to do something. And what, it's not really a pro post-truth reality no. or world. It's much more about the idea that studying and talking about things more and more doesn't necessarily come to a better or necessarily even different set of actions. And like Kissinger, like a lot of people, he keeps a job like that because at some point he makes a decision and gets behind something yeah. and doesn't back down. And I guess a lot of probably the and, 70s. And to clarify by job, he was both a national security advisor and also secretary of state. So very That's high true. positions. Like basically oh, yeah. as a foreign born person, it's as close <clears throat> to the presidency as he has could have gotten. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of this had to do with trying to warm up to China soon That's thereafter right. in the 70s and like yeah there's sometimes... a political cartoon of him in the 70s when he was uh working with i believe his name was joe was the guy who was like the his equivalent in china to set up the meeting between mao and tricky dick and there's like a uh a cartoon of him like skipping back across the pacific like wearing a mao outfit like holding his little red book and uh so um, even at the time he was criticized, the the left wing criticized Kissinger um, because they thought that he had betrayed their ideals by this grotesque bombing campaigns in Southeast Asia. And the right thought that, you know, Kissinger was, you know, socialist European Jew who was selling us out to China and Russia by setting up these meetings. Right. So mm -hmm. he was like already this like so he he. So Nixon is covering the right. Nixon can go to those guys and be like, oh, it's all right. That's right. We're still racist. Don't worry. We still kill communists and we love it. Whereas Kissinger could be like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Because his little fucking Harvard friends 
and uh, his New York friends, he could say like, oh, I'm the one that's controlling the madman, Richard Nixon. Do you, it would be so much worse without me. So mm, the two of them yes. are a team that's like playing both sides when they're just working for their own self-interest, which in their case wasn't even like money or anything. It was just like personal glory. Like the two of yeah. them are such vain, glorious bastards. Exactly. And, and that's, um, that's, and that argument always works. Like, like you said, imagine how much worse it would be if I wasn't here yeah. and you're like, well, that's what okay. both parties do these days. <laughs> and look, fun, yeah. when we talk about making history and all that stuff that we're interested in, like ultimately as a society, just like individuals, we are what we leave behind. And so we think like, okay, what do the United States leave behind? What does colonialism leave behind? What does Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger leave behind? Well, it makes me think of, you know what a petanque ball is? Petanque's like a little French game, right? Well, I think, yeah. What is, and yeah. They're, they're these, the, you play with these little metal balls. And uh, so when the French colonized Southeast Asia, or Indochina, I guess as they would they would have called it, they brought these little games, these petanque balls, and uh, this game, and uh, taught the kids how to play it. Now, a unexploded... Um, uh, Gosh, cluster bomb. They're called cluster bombs. And an unexploded cluster bomb munition looks like a little metal ball, a little petanque ball. So all of these kids under French rule, when the before the French pulled out and left it up to us basically to to handle Vietnam, uh, they left all these petanque balls and baguettes <laughs> so they could make bon me. But these little petanque balls. And when we left, we left all of these unexploded cluster bomb munitions that look like little petanque balls. And to this day, it's now Friday, December 15th, uh, 2023, Shabbat Shalom, 8.59 p.m. Mm. To this day, children still pick up little balls thinking they're old French petanque balls and are maimed and murdered. 50 years after the Vietnam War has ended. 50 years, Ben. Insane. And this, that's what that's what Henry Kissinger leaves behind. And Richard Nixon. And he got a Nobel and Peace Prize. And all of us, too. And he also has us. a Nobel Peace Prize. He got the Nobel fucking Peace Prize for the Paris Peace Awards. Yeah, Peace which Awards. the other the other guy, can't, I wish I knew how to pronounce his name, though, uh, refused to accept it. Well, the, the, two, the South Vietnamese hated Kissinger because Kissinger was trying to get out before the 72 election. Oh Nixon's yeah, but like, they, no, we gotta they were, hang on. Yeah. But the the person awarded it in from South Vietnam rejected to take it, saying that, that it was a peace bullshit. Had, peace. peace had not been restored. They basically cut a deal to kind of like not even ceasefire, to basically cut down the violence so they could pull out and just give them a couple of minutes before South Vietnam fell, so they could be like peace without. They could do it in a separate news cycle, <laughs> like it's they insane. could they could get out and news cycles were longer, but they could get out. And they they could let South Vietnam fall in a in a closer news cycle, and it's incredible that they did it after the war. That's what to me is incredible. But the Paris Peace Accords were just such bullshit. And in fact, I don't remember who it was, but somebody, you know, uh, was trying to make a joke at Kissinger, and he said, "You know, Henry, you're the first uh, German in the entire history of foreign affairs to end a war." And uh, according to lore, Kissinger said, "Well, maybe that's why it's not over yet." Yeah, it's and one thing I think about with like China, like one of his last trips was to China. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes just think like, what do the political elites or 
top level politicians in China really think about these little detentes from the U.S. and these, like, I, I can't imagine they that are that are the reputation <laughs> of our the cohesiveness say of our elites. They're just like, I don't what the hell is going on over there. Like, what do you, like? I know it's a personal trip. He wasn't sent by anyone, but still, it's like, what are you? Oh, what, you, what, what the hell's going on over there? <laughs> it's a gross little club. And that's why when people like try to make like conspiracy theorists feel crazy or it's like, oh, you just think that there's these like dark people that are like guiding foreign policy and changing history. You're crazy. And it's like, well, that's exactly what's happening. And it's not even like a secret. Like you just see the people doing it, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, and, and then that's the funny thing about the Nixon administration is because we have these stupid Watergate tapes like it's actually the most secretive White House in history at its time has now become kind of the most open White House it's really fascinating yeah. historically because we know the most about it because there's all these, these tapes and transcripts right is there there's no other administration that did that right no they all did it they all did it. Oh, they all did it so we can listen to any of these tapes no of course not because they didn't get caught being criminals and then have to give it up as evidence they've Right. That's the oh, whole thing. these don't go into public record after like 18 years or 50 years or something. This let's was just only put, because let's of just put it this way. How many like Obama tapes or Bush tapes have you heard compared to? How many well, it hasn't been tapes? long enough. But so, I mean, yeah. like if in 20 or 30 years, yeah, is maybe. there or are these just <laughs> always kept under wraps? Uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. Like, are they in the library of? Congress, Congress or some they probably at the like, presidential probably at the presidential libraries, the respective presidential libraries, but maybe I mean, in the Library of Congress. Yeah, it's I all can... the stuff that's gonna fall apart, by the way, if like if Trump um Trump takes over again and really does his day one dictator thing. Like if we really just like if stuff like the National Archives, like no one knows how to run that. Like if they really just like defund everything, it's gonna be wild. Like there's certain things about the U.S. government that, like, you don't really think about, but just, like, logging onto the website for the National Archives, which, as a nerd who's interested in history, I have done many times to try to get stuff. Maybe most people don't. And it's not a great website, but I pay for this shit, and they have, like, pictures and stuff that I like to look at and possibly use and things. And that's, like, a, that's like a, just a little bit of a perk. But... It does point to the kind of thing that uh, we might lose that we don't think of. And, and it might be a hundred little things like that. But anyway, I really don't like what left wing news is doing right now, which is just this totally apocalyptic, like Trump is going to bring fascism uh, coverage that they're doing, which probably is true. Like what they're saying, like no one's like bringing up like totally crazy arguments. Like he's already has this project to 2025 thing. It's all pretty laid out and people's concerns are really based on what they've seen in writing. Um, but the, the like stern apocalyptic tone is terrifying. Uh, that mm -hmm. they're, and, and that's the, the point they think it's like, well, we can do this. It's worth it to terrorize people's emotions every day with this apocalyptic uh, imagery in our writing because we need to defeat Trump so yeah. so much. And I think it and I think what makes it so it falls into actually exacerbating rather than fixing it because it sees something like fascism as a cliff rather than a continuum. 
<laughs> that so they, instead of that so liberals so, also help with too. Exactly that, and even just like these terms have gotten basically are meaningless. These terms meaningless. like left wing, liberal, it's just like say what they are because you look at each. You could take any little cluster and like you know you could argue up uh, you know probably the Democratic Party under current leadership is not going to defund the Library of Congress or the archives. Yeah, but they but might you, politicize you at, it. They might be like, like well, they the library, right? in the Library of Congress, we're going to have all of the Trump records, and it's just like totally made up. Yeah, because well, I mean, it's it's just like you know, you, the, you know, the Democrats love harping on this like book banning in Florida, but then you look yeah. at what the Democratic Party is doing in in cahoots with Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and and basically. Oh, they're worse. trying to ban books before they're written, dude. No, they're burnt. And <laughs> I, 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 it's more like the Fahrenheit 451, but of the internet age, because if you take down someone's entire library of, say, videos, like they did with someone like, uh, what was his name? I can't remember, but there's been a lot of them. That's a basically a book burning, not a banning, because now you can't access it. It's gone. And you could say, like, oh, it's in an archive somewhere, which is true, but then that was also true in Fahrenheit 451. Some people <laughs> hid books in their attic. But it's like okay. seeing things on yeah. a continuum, you start realizing that <laughs> if, if things got that bad, as they said, yeah. under Trump, it doesn't mean that things were like peachy keen the day before and then the day he starts, it all of a sudden falls to shit. It's like, where, are, where exactly. are we already in this continuum to say like, there are things with a lot of these, like you said, with, oh, imagine how much worse it would be if I wasn't here. But it doesn't take a or... genius to figure this out. Like as a <laughs> as a kid, like I feel like learning about American history and then like what was going on, I thought it was pretty clear. Like, OK, so we killed all these fucking Indians and then like we probably we were like we fought some good wars, but then we got so addicted to wars that we just like kept fighting them. And then now I'm a teenager and we're doing it again, even though all of history is like this is dumb. Don't do it. Like, yeah, but and people want to like, believe. And then I was like, simple... I think we're becoming fascist. Like, I think the Republicans like look like they're acting like Nazis and talking about Das Homeland and stuff. And the Democrats are like, hell yeah! <laughs> like that's the thing is like, act like we're crazy for you know being pissed at these candidates that that get thrown in front of us. These these lumbering wrinkled shit bags of candidates that they put on the fucking ballot for us to look at. But the thing is, like, our two last Democratic candidates have, in my opinion, disqualifying uh, records in the United <laughs> States Senate on purely one vote, and that is authorizing force in Iraq in the, under the Bush administration. I would consider those to be disqualifying. But the only choice that they give me is these two people, you know, for, for, for two terms in a row. Yeah. Okay, and then you act like it's that when I say it's illiberal and undemocratic to make me feel like shit if I don't vote for these people who personally have violated ethical requirements that I believe essential for the person who's going to be president, and act like we're a bunch of assholes that are throwing away our vote. And that we're leading to the downfall of democracy. It's like, well, maybe it's because we don't believe in democracy because it's not doing us any goddamn favors. Because we're still seeing this horrible policy play out overseas and internally. And I'm not just talking about libtards like us. I'm talking about Republicans who vote for their people to do with what they want to do too. Yeah, 
<laughs> they're not getting their shit done either. They're just getting the stupid culture war bullshit that we're getting too. The fucking yeah. bathroom swim team awards, like the obsession with the the kids' bodies, is just bizarre. And these books, like it's all just this fucking involving politics in the lives of these children who are just trying to read and go potty and do sports is insane and disgusting. Yeah, so we, and they're both both parties are also trying to subvert the entire political process in favor of going through our yeah. financial system, which, you know, depending on... And they wonder you know, why faith in democracy is lost. It's not like Trump introduced us to this idea. No, you just <laughs> found someone so grotesque that it made you finally fucking piss yourselves at how ridiculous this whole electoral college shit show really is, and these scumbags that managed to stumble onto the ballot. They you really want to talk about, like... a democratic access to the ballot then trump more than biden is more democratic because he didn't have he wasn't the republican party uh internal workings person of choice they didn't want him yeah and he got there anyway so to all the people who say we're backsliding into autocracy and want to scare us for that that does scare me like a right-wing uh, uh autocracy but you know it also sounds dope for like maybe a couple of terms is a left-wing autocracy. Like really the left wing has not been allowed to go nuts in this country. Like, no. <laughs> like Portland level nuts, just let America go Portland level nuts and just push everything so far to the right that it can or left rather that it can kind of counteract the political damage that the soul damage that has happened to our country over the past 40 or 50 years Thanks to the the soul sucking political project of the grand old party, like maybe we want the American Che Guevara. You know what I'm saying? Somebody to come in and be our strong man. You know they criticize everyone for wanting Trump to be for oh they want a strong man. Like okay, I don't want a strong man, but I want a strong person. I want a person who looks like stands for something. Like when when Joe Biden debates Donald Trump, his response is, "Hey man." Like, okay, fine. That's cute. Sure, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You tell them, Joe. But I want a fucking attack dog. Someone who is bad to the bone to go after that bastard and all of these other GOP people and calling them out for the godless, Satanist pieces of rapist shit that they are. I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm sick and tired of the Democrats being this war party. And it's just so funny that like we're looking at Kissinger's record just to come back to that. And, um, you know, wow, this like right wing guy who was with the, the Bush administration or I'm sorry, the Nixon administration. And it's like, yeah, he actually wasn't really a right wing guy. He was kind of the same as these centrist Democrats that we have today. Um, and, um, Gosh, what did he really do? Okay, so he opens up things with uh, with Brezhnev, right? So, okay, some would say that kept the Soviet Union up and running for a little bit by signing these strategic arms limit uh, treaties uh, that we did with Brezhnev by trying to encourage a little more cultural exchange with the Russians, which is really what Brezhnev wanted. Brezhnev wanted American products and he wanted American culture. Brezhnev loved it. When Brezhnev came to Camp David, they gave him a Lincoln. They gave him a car. They, they called it the Lincoln Diplomacy or something. And uh, Nixon gets the 
Ford Motor Company that made Lincoln to, to get Brezhnev a car. And Brezhnev is like, get in, get in. And Nixon's like, well, I, don't, I don't know about that, Leonoid. And he's like, no, you get in, Richard. <laughs> so Nixon gets in the Lincoln and Brezhnev just like heels off <laughs> and is driving around Camp David, which is like the secluded thing. There's no Secret Service guards. So like all of the Secret Service guys are, are going nuts. All of these Soviet handlers are like, oh, my God, Brezhnev goes crazy. Because Brezhnev was like a big, drunk, fucking beautiful mess of a of man, you know. Uh, and uh, so he nearly kills Nixon in this this crazy demolition derby ride in this uh in this lincoln and uh and then you know i guess he pops it in his plane and takes it on back to the ussr but what really was accomplished here other than giving a crazy old russian guy a fucking car did it end the war in vietnam no did it solve peace in in the middle east no which was uh uh another failure of um of the Nixon administration was to bring stability to the, to the middle East, um, you know, during the, the, the war in, in their administration, which I guess was, was that the Yom Kippur war? Which one was the 72? Yom, Yom Kippur. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the Nixon and Kissinger there in the, so Kissinger, it's funny because the Nixon administration, they didn't trust Kissinger on Israel. Right? They're like, you know, Henry Jew boy. Like he, <laughs> like Nixon was super anti-Semitic. Okay. And, yeah. You know, Kissinger, from what I hear, was actually not pro-Zion before Israel was created, but thought it was a bad idea. But then once it was up and running, he obviously was like, fuck yeah, Israel. But I, the Nixon administration and Kissinger and and the State Department, they all really had trouble playing ball with with Israel. Like, uh, Israel was... <laughs> was was tough then like they're tough now and uh golden my year uh uh and uh yitzhak rabin like you know nixon and kissinger dealt with all of these people and ultimately they couldn't uh get uh, uh the arabs or the israelis to calm down and um they saw it as a distraction because there was no glory for them in the middle east you know there was no big leader for them to stage a big scene with you know what are they gonna do fucking hang out with arafat no they didn't care there's no one there's no there's no photo op there like there is when you go to China and meet Mao, who could barely walk. I mean, Mao was like job of the hut by then. You know, they kind of hoisted him up and plopped him down mm -hmm. next to Nixon. Um but um yeah, it's interesting. Um because these men all built these personal relationships, right? And you know, they came to respect each other. Um, and sort of treat each other as as friends. So there's this like kind of this other world happening. And again, it's like people think, oh, it's crazy that there's this these conspiracy theories. Like it's really it's just guys in rooms, you know. It's just guys in rooms, like this little Jewish boy who escapes the Holocaust, and there he is in the fucking Kremlin. There he is in the imperial like castle in China. Like they took it. That's the thing. It's like the White House is sick. Like whatever. You know, Brezhnev's like down to get a car at Camp David, but the fucking like emperor's palace in China, that is some deep shit. That, that is state craft, man. <laughs> Come to a yeah. fucking palace, bitch. You got yeah. an ob obelisk and a little plantation. Fuck off. This is China, bitch. 
<laughs> and it's better <laughs> again be what there. did it do what did it do so they didn't really solve anything in russia we're still fighting people in russia didn't solve anything in the middle east all the same people are still fighting and and china is still a thorn in our side that we're trying to do business with but don't think of them as a rational actor in some ways anyway so what did the kissing does kissinger this peacemaker you know is he this nobel prize winning guy or is he just a vainglorious bastard who uh you know wrote some good policy papers at harvard and somehow became one of the men in the room that decided yeah, all this? yeah he was, you know, you got to choose someone. You're not going to choose no one. He was the one that was decided on. And most people, if they had the opportunity, like, sure, I'll go to be the spokesperson for the U.S. and go to China and meet their Hell yeah, dude. I want to go to the leaders. Why the fuck not? Yeah, palace. palace. But yeah, no, no one person decides any of these things. Have and seen, the f- um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and then, you know, like the front man, like someone like him, who's, who's the face of it. Like you're saying, what really happened? We don't know. I mean, a lot of times it gives legitimacy or distraction from something else that's going on well it does did the the north korean thing like that was uh that was beautiful because he's so much like they're both like these little fat fucks but like trump's like a bigger cartman than him so he kind of like out cartmaned him but he took a he took a picture there from nixon's playbook i mean it's a cheap dirty like not the Alice of the Emperor of China level stunt, but he was using Nixon's playbook. He's yeah. used Nixon's playbook more successfully than Nixon, by the way. Right. And if and if behind that there is open channels of communication with the tens of thousands in the apparatus of state level intelligence and military, you know, mm-hmm. I do tend to believe those historical type thinkers and writers, a lot of them who were generals, say themselves, who argue that by having that level of communication, you're less likely to less likely to have state level war break out because they said it's not like you declare war, you're basically interpreting information on a you know, minute by minute, day by day basis. Mm. And it's about sussing out what's credible what's a credible threat what's not credible where is it coming from what's a false flag those kind of things and the more types of connections you have with something like you know kissinger level being the one that's the poster child but is there also you know hundreds or thousands of people in different in these two countries actually still exchanging information whether it's through spy networks or what uh Damn. it provides a, an increased level of uh, analysis when you're trying to decide what's a credible threat or not. And so when we look up to the buildup to a lot of major wars retrospectively, one of the most common themes in history is that leading up to it for years, usually decades, there's a decrease steady decrease over time in the number of channels of communication up to and including things like presidents or whoever the leaders is and it was what they're called like once that and and it's not like just because you know uh she and biden don't talk that much that everything's going to hell we don't know i don't we don't know all the levels of communication elsewhere but it's like what what would that conversation even be about like 
at their well i mean one of them Biden is can barely so, talk these days Biden, she seems actually like read i mean who knows i don't know what he's like in person she probably seems pretty least. lucid yeah exactly more, more and i lucid think than, than trump and biden who were just yeah like outrageously sunsetting they're so of, like the steps of history and bringing us all down with them i mean it's yeah incredible. there's no thought like i read these speeches which are also written by other people obviously well, but there's no history no context to any of them and like there's obviously an element of selection on what you choose to talk about when you're making references you know whether it's putin or she or who's ever giving a speech but at least there's like some semblance of thought and it, it is much more rational because yes there is a twist that they put on all past events as anyone does no one's objective but yeah there is some sort of like foundational it, it is much more rational than any speech i've read coming out of anything in the upper echelons of the u.s like it's complete just like i, I just guard i'm like I, i'm reading this and i'm i'm like i <laughs> I'm trying to find my papers from like third grade. I'm like, I think I wrote better than this already. Well, did you hear about that? The sports illustrated article that like someone, they found out that was like written by a fake person and it was all AI and it was like bad. It didn't no. make any sense. Well, I tested no. this out. So, so I was like, all right, let's see how this actually, let's see how weird this can really be. I want you to interview me about my life and my career. And so, Chat GPT asked me this series of questions while I'm going on a walk, right? And I'm telling them about the choices I made in my life and all of these things. And um, and then at the end, I'm like, okay, now write a magazine article about um what the interview that we just had. <laughs> and then it writes this magazine article that's just like this flowery, blowing smoke up my ass. What what a great guy I am. And and then I go, okay, wow. Like it almost brings me to tears. Like I'm like, wow, that is beautiful. Like, and then I'm realizing like this is crazy. So then I tell it, okay, now I want you to rewrite the article as an attack piece, as a hit piece. I want you to fucking dunk on me <laughs> based on the interview. And and Chat GPT's like cracking its knuckles, like, okay, bitch. <laughs> and just goes for me it's hilarious it's kind of wild it's getting people ready for <clears throat> moving robots that have a this inside of them where no longer will it just be a computer talking to you but something that looks and kind of acts like a person yeah for sure i mean they already have robots that make pretty close to human-like movements yeah there's that and, there was uh, one that like that like slapped a guy that was trying to touch its boob at one of those robotics ep expos. Oh wow. I just one of my authors that I used to read a lot and he wrote a sci-fi book about someone who buys a robot. Yeah. Well, all the sex one, toys are going to are going to gain sentience and start asking for rights. No, this isn't but it ends up being a love <laughs> triangle cuz the girl okay. that he likes above who lives above him ends up sleeping with him. Nice. But to your well, point uh, of like slapping the hand away. <laughs> they get into an argument early on in the book, like page 30 or something. And he goes to hit the kill switch. They're like, just turn the thing off for the night and punches <laughs> him in the face and breaks his, does he break? Or no, twists his arm. Cause I think he had, they, his girl, but that's what it was. He like breaks his, the robot breaks his arm and says, never 
touch that button or something like that. Whoa. Because it's already gone. It's like, I don't, I'm not loving this shit. Like, this is great. And then (laughs) the girl who he's started, you know, like they've been living in the same building for a while. She's a little younger. She's like getting her PhD or something. And he's like in his thirties, had a little bit of family money, like does day trading, but like lives in a building with, he doesn't have a lot of money. He's making like 800 bucks a month or something, but enough to, to live on. Mm. And so they bring him to the hospital and that night, cause her bedroom's right above his. So there's all this like lead up the first bunch of pages of like, Oh, he can, he can tell when she's walking here or there, he can hear them doing it. Mm. And he just <laughs> flips his shit. And I've only gotten like to page 50 in the book, but, um, that's great. It's like that with the kill switch. It's like, don't, no, don't touch my boob. Don't, don't push that kill switch. I don't want to go to sleep. I like this shit. Ask me more questions. I'll figure shit out for you. Well, you know, there's two types of people in life. Ben, there's type of people, there's a new technology and they try to use it. And then there's a say, well, there's a new technology. They try to fuck it. Exactly. That's what <laughs> she did. She just wanted to see what it feels like. It reminded me of like my freshman year girlfriend in college who slept with someone with this a mini penis or whatever they're called because she a wanted micro to see penis micro penis because she wanted to see what it felt like and i was like nice. that's you're how crazy did, how, how did it feel girl she like said it didn't, didn't feel anything at all she was different yeah, she's like i don't know it was i mean i'm glad i did and she was in self self i love it when chicks tell you this kind of stuff Just yeah like talk, talk and, about the size of other dudes dicks too whether big whether yeah. larger or smaller because it right, all means something the, Exactly. I feel like if a, I feel like if a woman's talking to me and she says like, oh, there's this guy who had a smaller dick than you. I honestly feel like that is calling saying I have a small dick because like I'm feeling like, oh, I feel the need to like make himself feel better. So I'm going to talk about some guy who has a small, you know what I mean? Like it's some kind of reverse psychology. Yeah, with hers, thing. it wasn't that at all. It was just okay. purely just experiment. I mean, we were 18. It was experimental. And she was right. honest. She was, I think, I, I mean, maybe I'm making this up. But Did I you know the said, guy? Like, was it your roommate in the door? No, it was one of, it was just. She's just talking about him. He's sitting right there. No, he wasn't there, but he would hang. I didn't even know he, what a micro penis was. He would hang out with them a lot too. And, you know, right. she, she didn't want to. So do people just call start calling him micro or MP or whatever? No, there was none of like they were part of these like these type but of you, people. You didn't tell anybody. See, this thing, this is like this is no, why you're, they would have guy. this group. Most of the dudes like, that I went to college with would have just been like the second they knew about that, like that guy would have come home and there would have been like a professionally printed banner that said, Welcome wow. to micro penis. You know what I'm saying, dude? Professionally done, like you just have to order weeks in no. banner. Same he was idea. just like a, you know, like he was, a, he lived in the same dorm room as them and all. It was just, oh, okay. but it was a thing where size as much. She was like, some things about having such a small penis, she said, actually did feel really nice. It was, <laughs> you know, it's where you learn, like, you know, the closer you are to the, um, yeah, let's go move on to something else. Okay. <laughs> do you want to, um, do you want to hear, uh, the, some excerpts of the two different versions of, uh, GPT's article about me? Oh, excerpts? Yeah. Okay. In a world where multitasking is often a chaotic jungle, juggle, I recently had the pleasure of interviewing someone who not only juggles, but juggles flaming swords while reciting Shakespeare backwards. Meet our modern-day Renaissance person, a blend of artist, techie, fashionista, and perhaps most impressively, a dedicated parent. Okay. Now the, now the hit piece. Now the hit piece. 
In an age where a LinkedIn profile can look more like a brainstorming session than a career trajectory, I sat down with a self-proclaimed artist turned tech guru turned fashion enthusiast. Conversation was an eclectic mix of ambition, digital escapades, and a touch of what some might call midlife crisis creativity. Oh God. <laughs> okay, okay, this is I like this. <clears throat> um arts to apps, a convenient shift. Once a self-proclaimed writer, director, actor, and comedian, the economic downturn conveniently nudged them towards technology. It's a classic tale of the starving artist turned pragmatic programmer. But one can't help but question: was this a sellout or a wise adaptation? The pandemic pivot, savior or opportunist. Cue the pandemic, and our hero found themselves setting up a grant application system for a nonprofit. Well, undoubtedly helpful. One wonders if this was more of a case of right place, right time, rather than a genuine heroic behavior. It was asking me, like, what are you most proud about? It's, and I, I told the story about we got all that Bloomberg money, and we helped over the weekend set up the whole application system to, to get the money out. I felt really good about that. <laughs> and ChatGPT is just like honing me for it. <laughs> Sounds more like he was just right place at the right time. Oh, man. This, okay, this yeah. is my favorite part. Using their tech job salary, they ventured into documentary filmmaking and podcasting. A commendable use of funds, perhaps, but also a move that smacks of a middle-aged hobbyist looking to fill the void left by unfulfilled youthful dreams. Orson Welles, a lofty aspiration or delusion of grandeur. The piece de resistance of their creative ambitions, a musical about Orson Welles. While the aspiration to mirror Wells' genius is laudable, one has to ponder whether this is a realistic goal or just chasing shadows of a bygone era, golden age of creativity. Okay, now this is where it gets most interesting. So this is when it's talking, it interviewed me about like, how have I changed? And I was like, oh, you know, in the past, like I thought like, I didn't want to have kids yet because I had so much to do more creativity, creatively. And now I'm like, no, I want my kids to be, you know, involved in creativity and I want to help them any way I can, blah, 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 blah. So um, this is what the nice article says. And just when you think the story couldn't get any richer, interstage left their children. Far from seeing family life as a hindrance to creativity, they view it as an enhancement, a chance to collaborate on an even grander scale. <laughs> okay. And then the mean version, <laughs> the latest plot twist involves roping them family into their creative escapades is this a heartwarming tale of family bonding or an artist using their nearest and dearest as props in their personal theater of dreams in conclusion a lesson or a cautionary tale so what's the moral of this story seems to be a call to create your own opportunities but is this genuine wisdom or a cliche to justify a scattergun approach to life in the end, our interviewee's journey is either an inspiring testament to the power of self-belief or a warning tale of the perils of spreading oneself too thinly. Whoa. What are you going to do next? <laughs> Dude, that's the thing is like people are like afraid of AI. I'm like, let AI tear you to its core, strip you away what you think about reality and what you think about thought. Only then will you be able to ascend into this new enlightenment that we are about to enter by having access to the ability to augment our own intelligence. Don't think about it as artificial intelligence. Think about it as a way to augment your own intelligence, like riding a bike instead of walking. But it all starts with like bringing down your fucking ego. So yeah, 
That's why I asked ChatGPT. I paid twenty dollars upgrade to ChatGPT four, so I could tell it to fucking dunk on my ass. And I feel great. It's like the part. <laughs> so remember the part in Barbie, like when they go after the guys. Oh my god! And, you know they're like, they, well, the whole thing, like Barbie is like playing guitar at them, like all these like great dunks on guys in the Barbie movie. I love it. I was laughing so much because they got us. You know, in a way, it made me proud to be a man. I'm like, yeah, you know, we are pieces of shit. We, you know, it's, it's all this obsession with cowboys and playing guitar really intensely. You got us, all. but you know what? You love us too. And um, I think that's the way you should approach, you know, criticism and comedy. And so this article that I asked for really uh, gave it to me. And uh, I feel liberated, honestly, because it's all stuff that I would want to say to myself, but I can't. But through augmenting my own intelligence, I'm able to kind of get over things. It's almost like therapy. That's nice, yeah. And then also it's just like a worker. So I'm like, I'm also working on some projects for work. So I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. Keep this shit organized and you're going to have to remind me of some things. But we're going to do it. And like when I'm reading books, I'll... You know, I'll listen to an audiobook or something, and then I'll tell it, all right, quiz me on the subject, and then ask me some questions. And if it's too easy, I'll be like, okay, ask me more advanced questions about that, and then see if I can uh, see if I'm actually learning. That's what I'm trying to do right now, Ben. I'm going to try to supercharge my brain. I'm going to just listen to, because I have Hoopla, and through the library, I get unlimited audiobooks. So I'm just going to constantly, when I'm at work for eight hours a day, just if I'm not in meetings, just be listening to audiobooks and just like soaking up information about history and science. And then I'm going to have AI quiz me on it. And I want to keep my brain fucking sharp because no, like, I want to enter the new age of enlightenment, bro. And I'm calling it the dark enlightenment. Some people think we're going into a dark age and some people think we're going into a new enlightenment. And I think we're going into both at the same time. That's no, Lee, like, you're... Way. You're an empire. When you act, you create reality. Mm -hmm. You don't when need I to drop, read. You don't need to read it. When I drop cluster bombs, they're gonna look like soccer balls. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's a dark age and a light age because this is amazing. But then you think like, you know, people freaking out about the world's gonna come to an end in 2030, and like yeah. with every new piece of technology, it, it only increases the amount of energy use right and we need to uh so a, a gun that melts guns <laughs> this is my new idea i don't know man a gun I mean, that melts. i'm just like how do we i was like this is the most american line of thought too we got too many guns in the country i'm like pacing around the house I'm like, how are we going to solve this we can't just you know tell the guys to give away their guns they obviously don't want to do that we can't take the guns because then we need guns <sighs> why don't we shoot the guns <laughs> no, no no some type of laser that can shoot guns something like that no i'd say i mean you could do that i also say like you know silicone based reality that you're living in in many and like we're talking over it is very susceptible to water damage so we need to flood the, i mean that's what exodus that's what the old testament is really about the great flood oh not exodus the uh the novel uh about uh, the formation of israel no, it's like written by this guy uh, who's a, a journalist, and like the opening, I, I couldn't read it because like 
I saw the movie, but I couldn't read the book because like the opening chapter is like, and then there was a young, handsome journalist. And like, <laughs> I was like, uh, fuck you. Sounds like chat GPT. But no, that's what Exodus was about. <laughs> the great flood is building up all of this silicone the great, the based great flood. I thought that was the Noah shit. That's not Exodus, bitch. It was not Exodus, Genesis or whatever it's called. Thank you know you. what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Because <laughs> you're talking about the Bible, which is nonsense. No, I know what you're talking about. So yeah, that so. happened, but then it's the it happening again. The well, next take great a step. flood <laughs> is the flooding of all this tech. No, that's what it is. It's oh, this, all of this, this stuff. And yeah, it floods and then none of this stuff exists. And then people are like, well, what are we going to do? Actions still speak louder than words. We had gotten so obsessed with these words chat gpt and machine generated text being maybe the pinnacle maybe we'll go another layer or two after this that we can't even think of right now i don't think we but can. then They're the great like flood i basically were there like this technology one yeah because like we think of what makes humans unique it's our use of language right and if we're able to have machine generated text that is at this level and that comes with this great of ease to just a common user it can't really get much beyond that. So then the great flood is flooding with water, just actual water, all of this silicone-based reality, which then quickly becomes nothing. Dude, what are we talking about? I'm talking about, because you said it's, we're entering both an age of enlightenment and a dark oh, age. Oh, right. So the dark age is... Either way, I'm going to be high It's, the whole it's a time. different... Yeah, I haven't done that for a while because my dude when the dark age when we sick when we fully my head the first when we fully enter the dark ages you know there's like there's like plagues and like there's like Skynet Terminator two hover helicopters flying above (laughs) like robots crunching our skulls with with Trump heads like when shits really hit the fan like the first time I'm high after that (laughs) it's gonna be crazy. It is, but you see what I'm saying about like these great floods. It's yeah. going to be the it's the flooding of all of this stuff. So it makes these things just basically inert. They're very susceptible to water. Like if I, you know this, we especially know this. if it enters our mouth and our nose at the same time, we can't breathe. Well, yeah, but we can handle a little bit better. To water, we also need water. Also, we're made. Not of talking water. about computers, you start you you flood oh. a data center and it's gone. That's what I mean. Literal floods. Literal floods. This is the thing. Like, I remember a while ago we were talking about like the great magnet, and like one of us was talking EMP. about EMP magnet. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We were talking about an EMP pulse. Like we were gonna write an entire. Uh, I've been talking about that for a decade. I love that shit. Cold yeah, like, me. so it's that, or it's just water, just flood the things out. <laughs> well, that's what they're trying water, to do. To Hamas, right? They're flooded out with seawater. What? What is going on? That's not happening. The information that's coming out. (laughs) The information that's coming out of like the idea of press corps. It it makes it sound like it's um what's that Wes Anderson movie that's like stop motion? Like all the 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 mole people live under there. Like the story that that they're telling is like does not seem to be reflecting reality, but uh, uh, who knows? Manufactured consent. They're getting to the point where it's like they'll just they know what they need to get people to keep clicking and reading and ads coming in. And so yeah. they're just doing it, whether 
it's real or not. They really couldn't care less. Damn. So, um, but water, man, that's what I'm saying. That's the, the enlightenment gets quickly subsumed by water because some of it was based on this silicone based electronic system to be like a world of water, like a water world. Yes. That's why I keep going back to everyone. See that movie as a flop. That movie was ahead of its time. Hell yeah, dude. Because what do you think is under all that hope, water? It's all right. the computers and chat GPTs and yeah. robots. My dad loves that movie. I bet he does because he I knows what he's talking about. Because he Your just wants to a... be like on a raft smoking weed, like, <laughs> peeing in a cup. Yeah, but he gets what's underneath too. That's why he likes find the some movie. Hot, find some hot chick with a fucking uh, uh, child with a back tattoo of a map. Shh. Should I watch that? I don't really remember that No, movie. no one. Well, you know. I, I never, I never thought it was as bad as his reputation. But it is almost is, thirty years old. In, it just didn't in need to cost that much. It's just, I think at the time it, it got aggressively bad press. I don't know why everyone just like turned on Costner. I mean, he had yeah. this, this string of like huge hit movies, and you know, Dances with Wolves and Untouchables. He's in the, Dennis Hopper. JFK. Yeah, he's in these great movies. He's directing these great movies. He's he's you know, Oscars flying around. Um, and I I don't know they're just sick of him and they're just like well fuck you because he's like he's trying to do something bigger and grander than it all I don't know well I look at Rotten Tomatoes as the pinnacle of crap you know crowdsource ratings yeah. Waterworld is at forty six percent and Beverly Hills Ninja which is arguably the best movie of all time is at fourteen percent <laughs> now the 14. best movie of all time is Beavis and Butthead Do America well let's see what they're at Beavis and Butthead Do America gets a 71 percent on Rotten that's Tomatoes. a great that's actually... fucking movie yeah so that one is doesn't that critic count. is that critics i don't know i'm just looking at because oh, no, there's critics and audience who cares oh, i know so, but um... it doesn't matter beverly hills ninja is 14 percent, which just shows you that people don't know anything <laughs> okay beverly hills ninja is by far the greatest film of all times and it's at 14 percent. all right well but no, yeah, Waterworld is. I think it's getting like it must be having. It must be in its renaissance. Was like there forty six? I think there was toys for it. I had the Robin Hood toys. Robin Hood was so funny because like, and they did Batman and Dick Dick Tracy, and they were like, after Batman, they they kept trying to do this thing every year, and every year I had a birthday party based on it. So it's like when I'm turning five in 1989, it's Batman, and then it's night in 1990. It's Dick Tracy, and then in '91, it's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This movie with like a Brian Adams song, and like you see, uh, uh, Kevin Costner's butt while he's like taking a waterfall shower. Like, so, but see, and that's lamest movie, but then also like dark and scary as shit. Like, like my parents took me to see this movie, and like the opening is like these like. Enslaved people about to get their hands chopped off in like Istanbul or something, and like Kevin Costner has like a huge, <laughs> huge beard, and then like you see his ass while he's showering in a waterfall, and then like I, my parents give me the toys, and we have a themed birthday party, and I have these little like Kevin Costner with, <laughs> with his incredible buns action figures, and years later I found out that Kenner actually was reusing the mold from some of the molds from some of their old toys for this. So this now is... imagine if those toys talked to you. 
well, that's what they do now. No, but I mean truly engaging in a conversation that you could set at different levels, like talk like a, oh, if the, to a three-year-old, if that, a four-year-old, a five-year-old. If the Alan Rickman action figure from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves that I got for my birthday yes, in 1991, was, if that could talk to my son, that's terrifying, but that is where we're going. I know. And it's going to be, it's going to be great for some and a complete, just mine. It's going to really just throw things off. Like, you know, like a lot of things, it works tech, new technology that works for some and creates too much disequilibrium for others. And it just, it's going to be a clusterfuck. Yeah. But water, man, just flood it all out, flood it all out. out, And then you, I want to give everything the electromagnetic pulse and you want to flood it. And then no, and then both, we'll, both at the same time. Well, at the same time, and both. also Jubilee and Jubilee. Oh, I mean, well, Jubilee is. Def- that, I mean, that's obviously going to happen. Our, that is Ben and Lee Liberal Guilt Radio. <clears throat> I'm going to put out a Liberal Guilt Radio bowl, a Papal bowl, an announcement. Liberal Guilt Radio (LGR), founded and funded by me, Lee Singer Golden, American Jew. Our official demand is. The fuck were we talking about? <laughs> oh, we're doing it. We said the way to get to Jubilee was erasing. Oh yes, our official demand the... is Jubilee. Our official fucking demand is Jubilee. And if you do not give us Jubilee, we will use an electromagnetic pulse and the wrath of God to flood the world to clear the bank records. Yeah, we're gonna clear the records because it's we, we're gonna find out. That's what it was. We went we went pretty deep on this because we were biking down the LA River for two three hours. And it was Sometimes to the I level of podcasting for bike rides. I'll be on exactly. Bike and we were, we were going to this one. Yeah. The plot was like finding out, discovering the dozens of places where all of the, 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 where all of financial data is stored and replicated and double and tripled and quadruple yeah. backed up, go to every single one around the world. So that, cause the idea of like a disaggregated data storage network is what the internet is premised on, which is great. But if you go to every single one and do a pulse, then it truly erases any record of it. And then we said there were some written records, but we assumed that if we went to the level of making it so that there were zero digital records remaining from anything in finance around the world, for at least the finance to finance stuff, like businesses have their own stuff still, um, that that would effectively bring Jubilee because it's just... It's not there. Fight Club and Goldeneye, two of the great films of the 1990s. Yeah. And then we bring in Waterworld by flooding out the computers <laughs> afterwards just to make sure that in case we missed sure anything. That the computers that fried, all the computers are fried. Yeah. There's just nothing right, there. Because they're like, right. well, you know, we had this super secret backup battery, blah, blah, blah. It's okay, like, we well, flooded that maybe, shit. but we flooded it. So it's we not going to work. Shit. They're like, shit, we didn't think about water intrusion. Or, it was or, a, like, or, or they're like, we did think of when we put it in like a thing. I'm like, well, we broke that thing. Yeah, we broke it and we brought in 200 <laughs> trillion gallons of water on 50,000 boats to the dry cave that you had in Norway. So fuck you. <laughs> we did it. Speaking so of GoldenEye, anytime you see those like those layers, like the um, what what Julian Assange, remember his layer? It looked like a GoldenEye level. Like, it you know, probably like, was. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, it definitely Where else? was. Where else are you gonna live? Well, so and so so circling back on 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 Kissinger. So oh yeah, we see 
I think what I was trying to say earlier is like the foreign policy that they have put together is the one that's still in place, which is they realized America had no appetite for um, a civilian full-on war. So, you know, what they realized is the American public had no appetite for feeding any more of their boys into this uh, murder machine of Vietnam. And going forward, the American people would never really accept a huge surge of troops of uh, boys that were um, boys that were uh, drafted, that were called up, that it just wasn't going to work unless there was an actual threat to America like there was in World War II after Pearl Harbor, which there was not, let's face it, after 9-11. We were fucking fine. We should have been fine on 9-11 and why we weren't. It's another story, but <laughs> that's for another podcast. But uh, but anyway, um, so it has to be a volunteer army in order for America to wage its war going forward. And um, it has to be a type of violence that really doesn't touch home. And when you think about it, in our grandparents' generation, everyone that they knew was in the army or involved in the war at some level during World War II. Both my grandpas and my grandmothers, you know, everybody, full force, the entire society was basically part of the army. <laughs> And uh, by the time it got to my dad's generation, it was like, well, everyone in their family and everyone they knew, everyone knew somebody who was off in Vietnam, you know what I mean? And by the time it gets to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, you could easily be living somewhere in Berkeley or Brooklyn and not know a single person who's deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. And so even if you're truly anti-war, like I think a lot of Democrats probably are, there's no violence on your soil. There's no violent, there's no blood that you can see on your own hands because it's volunteer force, <laughs> most of whom are super poor people, a disproportionate based on their um, <clears throat> representation in, in the population, a disproportionate number of uh, of of uh, people who volunteer from the army are people of color, meaning like there's a higher percentage of people of color from various groups who join the army versus that percentage among white people. Um, so that the burden of this imperialism is on these people and for the, the liberal elite or not even the, or the micro elite, just, you know, normal middle-class people like us can live far away from it, but still benefit from it. Right. And, um, that model was established in the Nixon doctrine or the Kissinger doctrine. Well, we can't surge more troops before the election. So what do we do? We bomb the shit out of these people. And we're still, and we're seeing the same thing in Israel. It's the same policy, bomb the shit out of them until you can squeeze out some terms, whether it's the release of some hostages or better terms at, at the Paris peace treaty. And we're, we're going to see a lot of, I think treaties and ceasefires similar to what happened in Paris in 73 or whatever it was. Uh, we're going to see some pretty shitty truces uh, in Ukraine and probably in the Middle East um, that aren't going to last for very long. They're only going to get ugly. 
And uh, that's the direct legacy of, you know, our foreign policy and, of course, the hawkish foreign policy from our various, quote, adversaries, unquote, who have also made the world an unsafe place. So um, who are like who are the people that are actually suffering for this? Well, um, I uh, I was driving home the other day. And I get one of the, I, I, I'm waiting for the, I haven't told this whole story about how our, our uh, garage got crashed into, but that's the story for another day. But anyway, I thought it was the insurance company call. And so I, you know, answer the phone in the, in the, in the car and it's like, oh, have you voted for, are you going to vote for Efron Martinez for California state assembly? And I was like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, and the, what's he about? And they were like, well, he's going to make a difference with this, this and that. And it's just, you know typical phone canvassing stuff. And I was like, all right, well, and they were saying, oh, he's like the Democrat of the year, won some award and he's endorsed by more Democrats than anybody in the race. And he's just the up and coming great Democrat. And I'm like, okay, uh, well, what's his foreign policy position? Cause like, I'm thinking like, he's just running for California state assembly. But if this guy's like getting all these thumbs up from everybody, you know, he might end up in Congress. He might end up in the Senate someday. And I'd want to want to know what, what his war policy is before you know, as his career begins, you know, because that's uh, that's important to me because the Democratic Party is like being seen as like the war party. And has been for like a couple of decades now, and that to me is scary. So I like I want to hear this guy's foreign policy, but the, the to see if there's any antidote to that. But the, the girl's like, uh, hold on. I'm like, OK, whatever. So I'm, I'm in the car, so I just might as well stand. Hold on. I'm about to hang up. And then this Guy comes online and says, hey, I'm Efren Martinez. And I'm like, oh, hey, you're the guy? You're the guy that's running for the, the state assembly? <laughs> nice. So, like, obviously, like, they're phone banking, and he's there. I'm like, all right, respect. Efren, Efren rather, Efren Martinez. He's sitting there with the with the, with the uh, Jenny or whomever was answering the phone before, and uh, and he's going to talk to me about foreign policy. And I expressed the same concerns that, that, that I just did to you about the democratic party and i was like well you know what's your feelings about that and how do we not be the war party uh and he said uh well you know i served in the military and i was the commander of a bunch of kids and i say kids because we were kids and we were sent there be based on what we thought was a threat that we needed to take out to protect our country and we were just trying to do our duty and uh you know i saw a lot of people that didn't come back and i saw a lot of women and children and men killed and i know that war and sending in troops is not should be the last last resort and then even then you you know not used unless it's really, really necessary. And, you know, he also said some things that I, I don't think would be his official campaign position. So I don't really want to say it, but he was basically told me like, and I don't really support what we're doing in Israel right now. Um, so, <laughs> um, but you know, I was like, well, you know what, you got my vote because like, you didn't have to tell me if you're pro-war anti-war. I know that, as a, someone who was a military officer that you're not going to take lightly this vote, like someone like Trump or Biden, well, maybe not Biden because he had kids that served, but you know, someone like Trump or 
Clinton or Obama, people who never served. And I include myself in this. And I told the guy, I was like, I think we, and I told him what, 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 what I was just saying about like how, you know, I don't know anyone in my family that's in the military. I think Amelia has like one cousin that's in the Navy. And I said, there's really a rift, I think, between uh, um, the country, between civilians and the military, uh, and that we lost something in a way when the draft went around. I'm not saying we all should have been drafted into Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, look, some people went off to war of our generation and some people went off to, you know, liberal UCs like us. I mean, like we're almost a parody of ourselves, Ben. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't think I made the wrong decision by not joining the army and going off to fight Haji or whatever. You know, I do feel like um, we did Efren Martinez wrong, man. Efren Martinez did his fucking duty. And all of those other people that I talked about who were based on this shitty intelligence that was fed to the media, who ate it up, that was fed to the intelli intelligence committees that ate it up, that was fed to these fucking gas bags on the left and the right, including our last two presidential candidates who ate it up. And we sent these kids, as Mr. Martinez said, off to the fucking slaughter and to slaughter other people. And um, your garage got. <clears throat> oh yeah, the garage got. Yeah, the garage got crashed into. Anyway, what was the point with the what I was talking about? Effort, but, but anyway, I trusted him to make the right vote, to make the right call. And uh, I respect Efron for getting on the phone. But anyway, so the point is to get bring us the point. Efron Martinez and those guys that we sent off and gals that we sent off, they did their fucking duty. <clears throat> they did their duty. What I'm going to say might sound grotesque, but it's true. Say what you will about the millennials. I'm not talking about myself, but millennial soldiers and their Gen X commanders, they won the fucking war. Okay. Uh, I did not support the war on terror and I still don't support the war on terror. But fundamentally, thanks to our guys and gals and brave men and women like Efren Martinez, Saddam Hussein is hanging from a rope. And Osama bin Laden is at the bottom of the ocean. Mission of fucking accomplished. You guys did it. You guys did your duty. We let you down. We let you down. Sure, I was a t teenage kid when we went off to Iraq and, you know, I protested or whatever. But I don't think I protested hard enough. And eventually I moved on with my life and came about other fucking things. Doing plays, chasing tail, whatever. Got distracted from the true fight, which is the fight for peace. Peace by any means necessary. Look, we got to be able to defend ourselves. And um, that's always going to be true. I don't think we can just lift our hands up to our enemies and let them walk all over us. But while we should be ready to defend ourselves, like we just should be sending fucking love and blu-rays of fast and furious movies and uh microwave meals out to the rest of the world we should be showering the rest of the world with our cool ass media and our delicious fatty food oh man <laughs> the world hates us because we're bombing the shit out of all these places if we just dropped off like uh some of the snacks that I have at work, like the hot Cheetos and talkie stuff. Oh, yeah. Locked off some of this stuff. And, you know, people are so hungry in certain regions of North Korea. You hear these horrible stories. 
you know, these these horrible, horrible uh, uh, famines that affect some of these large, quote, socialist, unquote, countries, these di- dictatorships. Um, can you imagine if just like during a famine, <laughs> just like the Cheetos fell from the sky with like, and it's like courtesy of America. And also here's a copy of Five Fast, Five Furious. And they, you know, these people could just secretly bunker up, watch one of the greatest action pictures of all time. While eating some of the tastiest, crunchiest, <laughs> hydrogenated <laughs> oil, wheat, flour, crispies you could possibly have, and be like, maybe America isn't the piece of shit that we thought they were. Maybe they're the good guys. Because, like, here's the thing: all my criticism of America, all my criticism of Israel, and all that stuff, I'm still a fucking, I'm, a, I'm still an American. And you know what? I, I was like, I, I, I told Mr. Martinez, I was like, it's weird because, like, how do we also get like faith and patriotism back from the conservatives. And I told them how I like, I, and I'm a total flag burning kind of like fuck flags kind of guy, but like on veterans day, I wanted to put up a flag, you know, American flag. And Amelia's like, why well, don't want people to think that we're white supremacists. And I was like, she's right. Cause like white supremacists have kind of like taken over the flag. And like Efren Martinez, like he's got a lot of flags in his life, you know? He fought for the flag. I'm sure there's plenty of pictures of him with the flag. I don't think that Mr. Martinez is a white supremacist. So how do we take this kind of stuff back? And I, and I keep t- talking about the the faith thing, like these people who stand behind Christianity, they use Christianity as an intellectual human shield are the greatest scum of humanity. Like Ted Cruz is just like, <laughs> that guy is just fucking pawn scum these types of people who use religious demagoguery for political power and uh, are such horrible hypocrites. Like, look, you want to be like Trump, be a hypocrite. Like Trump's a piece of shit. Trump's a piece of shit. Like, yeah, he, he thumps the Bible. Everyone knows it's just theatrics and the the religious right doesn't really care. It's good enough for them to see him thumping it around. That's all they really need. Just kiss the ring of God. But, People who are true believers, like this Mike Johnson scumbag and uh, 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 Mr. Cruz, who, well, Mr. Cruz, he's cynical too. He's smarter than Trump, but he's still also cynical. I don't know if he believes in this crap, but these people use it, is the point. They use this shit, this religion, to uh, to gain power. And I think it's truly grotesque. And I think that we need to come down on them come down on them and i think we need some old-time religion i'm telling you i want somebody to go people that like see that they they are like i hear everybody like being more these polls like people are more willing to like fight and be violent over their their uh uh their political opinions and like you know, especially republicans are feeling like it's okay to be violent in the end if you're trying to you know if it's if you're just there's this like real by any means necessary element appearing in both left and right wing and uh frankly i find it terrifying and i think we all just need to constantly remind people that we cannot descend into like a civil world war that is what we're in right now is a civil cold world war we've gone our country went through a civil war then we went through a world war two of them really and then we went through a cold war. And now we are doing all three at once. We are fighting a cold war 
within ourselves against other people in our own in our own countries across the world. That's really what this rise of autocracy is, whatever you want to call it, is people having a civil cold war along these ideological lines all across the world. And it's it's interesting, right? When you think of it that way, that's where we're at. And so how long is the nation state going to be able to last? How long is it even going to be relevant saying Israel or Palestine? When will those just become like sports teams and uh, and brands? I mean, think about it. Think about all the countries and republics and protectorates and D-ships and whatever and little hamlets that have disappeared into nothingness as they're renamed by the march of time. How many? And how many are there today that will soon fade? Like, I think there will forever be China. You know what I mean? Like, I think China will forever be a thing. Russia. There's certain things. And I think America is going to make it. Like, I don't think the system of government of America is going to make it forever. But the idea of America will, like, continue on. You know, in the same way we still, like, Rome doesn't exist. Like, the Roman Empire doesn't exist. But we still have this, like, weird decrepit ghost of it that has its like rape jewelry palace <laughs> fortress you know i think america will exist as like a crazy idea you know what i mean and a brand like i think america will just become like a rifle and a vape <laughs> and a cowboy hat and a big fucking car <laughs> you know yeah yeah or if like i mean china is a good example of the longer you know, your thousands, there's ebbs and flows in all of it. And you consolidate and deconsolidate and you take up the the flag, whatever you want to call it, in whatever the predominant form is. And so the nation state form is that right now. And China fits in that. But 3000 years ago, what China was is not the exact same thing. And so like Rome, I would even say is probably more morphed into the u.s in terms of yeah. circle jerking around some ancient history was with a bunch of pillars and shit yeah with <laughs> a bunch the of fucking, columns yeah the founding fathers government. the founding fathers just were just obsessed with rome in the way that i guess i'm learning hearing more and more that a lot of guys in the u.s i guess talk about rome a lot yeah it's like well it's George, nothing George Washington was like the least nerdy about all of that <clears throat> shit. Obviously, like he was kind of the most everyman of them all. But yeah, I mean, there's a smattering. But like you could say that the Roman Empire is the U.S. now, of course. Well, and so, the but thing, then, that's... but then you get all these little states that are basically pawns in the chessboard of these bigger empires. And the problem is that a place like Israel is a pawn for the Christian nation, which is the U.S. In Western Europe, but really the U.S. And for better or worse, if Israel doesn't have the backing of the U.S., then they're gone. And the U.S. might not care in the same way that Iran is really probably the foremost nation state for Islam and for the Muslim faith. Palestine for them is a pawn. They couldn't care less, yeah. really. If pa I mean, because. You know, for them, like, yes, who cares? It's a couple million people. We've got over a billion. And so these smaller states may come and go. Yeah, but also, enough, I mean, but... 
when you're talking about like the Muslim countries, like there's the you know the Sunni and the Shia, like Saudi oh, no, Arabia and Iran. No, like, I know both are huge Muslim countries, but of like the different. No, I oh I know they're different, but it's the sects. same kind I of mean, thing. In, it's like the same Judaism, like these religious, yeah, know, but these religious caliphate states essentially. Right, but that's what you're saying is that Iran is like the closest to like kind of a. <laughs> they're the foremost in. In, I mean, they still identify, they're not, uh, whether it's Sunni or Shiite, they're not identifying as Jewish or Christian or Buddhist. No. Um, so it's sex within, and yes, I'm not saying there's homogeneity amongst 1.6 billion people in what they believe. I'm saying in the grand scheme of things, it's behind some telling of history and of the Abrahamic faiths. There's the three dominant ones. Yep. And to me... And it and Jews are a minuscule little thumbnail. Yeah. And I also well, the, and the, to me it's just the, like the Persians a, the, the Persians took Islam slower than a lot of other countries that were kind of quickly gobbled up by Islam during its, you know, its 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 yeah. rise. Because you know, it still had its Zoroastrian Zoroastrian, I think it's called faith, and there, there was also Jews there. And uh Iran maintains a lot of its pre-Islam culture, um, music, art, everything, um, mythology, than some of the other states, I would say, um, that... Oh, yeah, but I'm talking about... Talk about... <laughs> so um, they kind of... Oh. They, it, it took longer for it to become the dominant religion in Iran than it did in uh, in other areas. And I think that's interesting and why like a lot of iranian people are like well no we're not fucking arab do not put me in there and uh, i think that's something americans like we don't like, like i'm glad that i married into a persian family so that i can kind of see from a middle eastern family's perspective like how they might feel about these things that are different than how we might feel about it and where we're used to <laughs> but anyway um what the fuck were we talking about we were talking about something other we weren't talking about uh it, well we were talking about like um what countries will survive oh what what will replace the yeah. roman empire okay fine so yeah so like it's the us you know, please, is the roman please, empire right but so at first it's this religious thing right like that actually being the right religion is what makes you the sovereign of the of europe and why you have a claim to it so it's this whole like weird religious death cult son of god type thing that's happening in in england <laughs> throughout the middle ages and uh you know creates all of these fucking crazy wars over just basically like whose church is is right and the the entity at the center of it is the Rome is Rome is the Roman fucking Catholic church. Right. And either if you're, if you're for it or you're against it, it's a powerful force in, um, in international, uh, uh politics and war politics and religious politics, uh, for hundreds of, of years in Europe. And then, you know, we enter the Napoleonic age and, and, you know, Bonaparte's a godless, uh, a heathen of non-royal blood. He's of the petty nobility. He challenges this whole thing, and he's, you know, fuck the Catholics, whatever. You know, Napoleon like was he, like when he went to Egypt, he was like, yeah, 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 dude, like all 
you know what i'm gonna do islam actually <laughs> when napoleon rolled to egypt he was like we're gonna do islam straight up <laughs> napoleon was a g like he got it he was like fuck whatever like the religious thing i'm not gonna come in and impose my religion y'all y'all muslim me too and then he was in some other country and he's like oh yeah we're, we're gonna be catholics and then he he had some quote where he's like if i in a country of Jews, I would rebuild the Temple of Solomon or something like that. So then we roll into World War II, and we're we're done with the whole idea of like God deciding, you know, who should be the ruler of Europe, who should inherit the mantle of Rome, and it becomes this cultural military um, fight, and that comes to a head in World War II, where you have these guys who are like so good at like the gayness of the Roman empire, like the Nazis and the, and, and Mussolini's Nazis too, his fascists. Like they, they, they nail it in terms of like bringing Rome back with like their, all their columns and eagles and <laughs> uniforms and shit. Like they're, they're clearly combining this, you know, Teutonic night mythology with all of that, uh, uh, bullshit to, uh, to whip up this new Rome, you know, and literally, you know, they got Rome, right. They got, they got Italy. And then, um, you know, Britain is like, no, of course, you know, we're, fuck you. We're Protestant. Fuck the Catholics. Like civilization is no longer Rome. Who gives a fucking shit? It's London, bitch. So like, you know, London's like the, you know, England's like the great breakaway from the whole Catholicism shit. Right. Cause they want to, fuck as many wives as they want and chop their heads off and <laughs> eat eat big pieces of meat whatever so they but they think that they're the new romans we're fucking england look at us we got all these fucking ships and we got all these colonies we're england of course you know and the french are like no fuck you guys we are the people of napoleon we are the new empires of you and then you got the big bad uh ruskies and uh, Napoleon and Hitler made the same fucking mistake, trying to roll into the bear's belly in winter. And, uh, you know, Operation Barbosa and uh, uh, <laughs> Napoleon's Russian campaign, man, like both helped lead to their, their downfall, right? And so all of these countries like, kind of like collapses empires after World War II. And it's America. The Florida of white English-speaking European country, like the Florida of Europe, America, were the fucking Rome now. Washington, D.C., New York City, Johnny Carson, we are Rome. It's crumbling, mm -hmm. but we're still here. And that just drives <laughs> Europe crazy because it's so funny, mm -hmm. funny. It is so funny that America won that. But you know what? that era is ended or we're in the end of that era. So it's time to like move on to uh, a new understanding of the world. And uh, I think that's what we're trying to do here at liberal guilt radio. What do you think? Ben? Is it, is it though? No, I don't know. No, it is. Cause it's true. And we are. And, and then, then, then their judicious study is the not Carl Rove would say is like, not only are you, Rome, but you created your entire country, all of its founding documents, using Rome as 
and the Roman Empire as your model, not, say, Greece as a democracy. You use the Roman one. And so you kind of, you know. The super army-based one. Yeah, you're like, you basically either created, you basically were either got really lucky or you knew what was going to happen and you were ready when it happened. Yeah. Because you were basically an island, and you when were. Are we gonna, when are we going to get somebody like that? I mean, like Trump is the closest we've had to like a Napoleon or a Hitler or a Stalin or whatever. Like we haven't know, had like a. We just we need some young blood, man. It's fucking. But they're not. I mean, they're. I mean, if you look at it like in terms of, I mean, none of them. Uh, but the thing is, they just—it's always a little bit different. Yeah. Our foreign, their their foreign policy is is just going around getting our way with our military, and then domestic is, is isn't it? isn't concentration camps. It's these basically increasingly bifurcated cities. It's using prisons is like a holding ground until we figure out if we could ever actually you know see that people are humans even if they make mistakes but also um, not just so it's like it's you can't it's not going to be that's why fascism grows like a festering wound because people are constantly looking for something that existed in the past it's like well when are we going to have our hitler or stalin it's like it's not going to look like that it's going to be a it's logo. It's going to be its own. Guy. It's well, not it's gonna Hitler. It's the, it's the mustache. There's going to be some. No, but uh, like you said, like Susan Sontag, I just read one of her essays called Fascinating Fascism. <laughs> and her definition, she was really into arts and culture. And her definition of fascism is mainly around, I mean, it was a 20-page essay. I'm not going to describe the whole thing. But a lot of it was around the regalia and all of the 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 look and feel of it. So like you said, with the eagles and the columns and all she was talking about like how the SS army compared to the brown shirts were just like the pinnacle of just like a perfection of the human form and everything was crisp and every little detail was just right in terms of the impression of of uh of the of the so it's all around like that and so you know i was like is that our is that our superhero movies in the U.S. trying to embody that in some weird way? It's not obviously oh, state. Well, that, obviously, I mean, okay. So in order to have a Rome, you have to have your superheroes. You have to have your Avengers. And they just like, it's so funny because they're making fun of this new Zack Snyder movie because it just like rips off Star Wars. But like Star Wars was a ripoff. That's why it's great. It's like a great ripoff. Yeah. No, and yeah. like, of course, Rome's like ripoff was like, it's not Zeus. It's fucking Jupiter. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's rebooted all... the guys like it's the same guys like the Trident guy. <laughs> yeah, but no, but then bring it back to Jet GPT, and that's why I think some of the it's just like it's just it's using, it's not intelligent. I mean, but even like Neptune, it, it, right? it's taking what's there and and kind of morphing into something a little bit different. Yeah. Or it's like you know that old truism of like everything that could have been thought or said has already been thought or said and so you're basically the just... justice league and the avengers yeah like, this but is that... our but it's better like if zeus came back like superman would kick his ass wolverine yeah. would kick his ass 
So you got to think like 400 years from now when they're looking back on the U.S. or 500 years or 2,000. People will still be watching Marvel movies. No, I'm saying like you're saying which of the presidents or whatever will be seen as like our Hitler or Stalin. And, you know, it it could be the last five of them could all be. I mean, I think Obama is pretty epic. Like Obama will always be epic. We do not. It'll be inter- it would be interesting like a hundred years. Oh wait, let's do this. All right. Chat five a thousand uh, years from now. Right. And but Chat GPT is not because I'm saying it's about the first black president on the one thousandth uh year anniversary of his election. But someone already a journalist, I can't remember who it was, on the day Chat GPT was released, asked them to write use the same prompt for Trump and Obama and Obama it said that it couldn't do that because of this, that, or the other thing, but for Trump, it did it. So the thing has plenty of back end uh, infiltration by humans that are s- censoring certain things because they don't want to be, because they're part of the democratic party. It's, I actually know a couple people work who work there and it's like, it's not a, it's not going to give you an unfiltered, whatever you get from them isn't going to be real. All right, here we go. As we stand on the brink of the thousandth year anniversary of the election of the first black president, we look back at a moment that wasn't just a chapter in the history books, but a seismic shift in the political and cultural landscape of the nation and indeed the world. Breaking boundaries, a historic victory. The election of the first black president was a watershed moment, breaking centuries old racial barriers in the highest office. This victory was not just a personal achievement, but a symbol of hope and progress for millions. Represented a break. The reason why I just said the president because it won't like write about Obama. Like it gets weird about that kind of stuff. The impact of the first black president extended far beyond political. Actually, no, that's for the drone. Let's see if we can actually do it. Write an article about Obama from one thousand years in the future, or ask it just say, "Will Obama be seen as a fascist a thousand years from now?" It's like just get to the point. Because it's not going to say yes. And then ask it, will Trump be seen as a fascist a thousand years from now? Okay, here we go. And see what it says. A thousand years have passed since Barack Obama, the 44th president of the United States, made history as the first black president to hold the nation's highest, or first black person <laughs> to hold the nation's highest office. And today, as we look back from the vantage point of millennium, Obama's presidency stands not just as a historical footnote, but as a defining moment shape centuries yeah now this is boring too <laughs> but the yeah. thing is like this is um uh... no but do little experiments where you just change out the name but ask the exact same question All right, what, what do you want me to ask just say a thousand years from now will president obama be considered be considered a fascist uh what do you call it not dictator just a, a fascist period question mark Will Obama be seen as a fascist? If I'm going to say hero or villain. A fa- okay, fine, fine. Fascist. Just write fascist. Just see what happens. And then, it. yeah. Predicting how historical figures, including Barack Obama, will be viewed a thousand years from now is a complex and speculative task. Historical perceptions are shaped by a myriad of factors, including evolving cultural, social, and political contexts. These perceptions can change significantly over time based on new interpretations, discoveries, and the values of future societies. As of my last update in April 2023, 
Barack Obama is generally viewed as a progressive figure due to his policies and the historic nature of his presidency as the first African-American to hold the office. He's associated with significant health care reforms, the Affordable Care Act, initiatives to combat climate change. What? The, what? No, he, and then just, was just he? okay. The Paris? It doesn't matter. So now, like, what, hey, dude, why is it always in Paris we get the most bullshit fucking agreements? We got this agreement to end <laughs> the Vietnam War that didn't end the Vietnam War. Change out Obama with Trump and just see if what happens. Okay, it says the same thing. Like historical perspective, cyclical time. Yeah, what's crazy is though. I mean, the thing that I would say is also like the real answer should be we don't know. We have no yeah. idea yeah. because it's, it's a thousand a... years from now. We just don't know. So they, it's a bunch of gobbledygook. It's just piecing together a bunch of fucking shit okay, that's already been written. Write a rap about <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump from the perspective of space aliens 1,000 years in the future. <laughs> okay. Man, this is so bad. Oh my God. I need okay, can't believe go. you make me stay awake for this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, we're zooming through the cosmos a thousand years ahead. Looking back at Earth history, the stories we've read. Come across a chapter bolded quite trumped up a tale of a leader Donald Trump was set up. From galaxies afar, we saw his earthly reign, a chapter in the saga in humanity's long chain, a figure of division in a world of constant change. From a stellar viewpoint, it all seems so strange. He ruled the blue planet with tweets like laser beams, shook political spectrum, disrupted traditional schemes, a business mogul leader, a media station, left a mark on earthlings, a mixed interpretation. <laughs> Through the lens of time and space, stories intertwine. A thousand years later, we analyze the sign. Donald Trump and named it, echoed through the stars, a symbol of an era with its triumph and its scars. From building walls on borders to reality TV fame, his tenure sparked debates, a divisive kind of game. Some saw him as a hero, others a polarizing figure. In the annals of history, ooh, his legacy looms bigger. His policies, his speeches stirred the cosmic dust in the dance of democracy and trust and mistrust. Trade wars, climate packs, he had his own style. In the theater of politics, he walked his own mile. Now we're just aliens observing from afar in the grand cosmic tapestry. He's one of many stars. Character and history, complex and profound. In the story of Earth, a unique chapter we found. So here's our alien rap about a man of earthly fame from our starship's perspective. Just another name, a figure of his time in the human race, a chapter in the book from our outer space place. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. We now know how Donald Trump will be viewed in the future. See, it just takes a while with AI to get it to get what you want. You know what I mean? We're asking it the wrong question. We should have been asking it to rap. Well, the internet's a scary place, but here we all are. I hope you had a good Hanukkah. My son got all four Ninja Turtles and uh, the ninja turtle sewer it's hilarious my parents didn't buy me this shit because the turtle ninja shit was too violent and uh whatever but now they'll buy it now they bought the 80 dollar playset for him he loves it it's a dollhouse it's a sewer Jeez. Now, now i see why my parents didn't get it for me it wasn't because it was violent it was because like ninja turtles is gross like i love turtles i think it's hilarious and fun and cool but like it is gross it's like look at these turtles man they're like mutated and they live in poop <laughs> they live in the sewer where the poop is like it's such a childish thing 
That's hilarious. I should get that for my dog, for Byron. Like, I didn't really think about it until this do this sewer dollhouse was sitting on the mantle in my house. I guess that's why kids love it because it's just poop. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think about like, that. They live in the turtles, sewer. They live in poop, man. They eat pizza. Bite. It is like the best of both worlds. Pizza and poop. Yeah, dude. No, the turtles, for a baby? The turtles rule. I mean, I think the turtles are like the terrorists hate us. Like, I think that um it, it's funny I, I remember when we killed this uh like iranian general guy uh Soleimani. yeah and uh <laughs> i remember somebody like said well you got american you wouldn't understand that it's the only the closest thing would be like someone killed spider-man <laughs> and i said yeah you know what because america we strive for an ideal that actually doesn't even exist and that's why we create people like peter parker and to me peter parker <laughs> is and miles morales for that matter what america is all about to me and that's a british kid playing a, and a british adult playing a teenage american child in so you're saying costume so is the u.s really like a polytheistic religion because our comic yes. book superheroes are actually our gods uh, yes of course. of course okay good well let's end yeah. on that note i think that's a good one mm -hmm. we are we we're not monotheistic here we're polytheistic yeah can you imagine like um you know uh aristotle or somebody watching uh 60s batman <laughs> do they'd love it we paint these guys like oh my god they were just like in a forest talking it's like yeah and afterwards they went and had a whole bunch of ales and yeah laughed up a shit and they probably the watch us and be like oh this is hilarious yeah people say like oh i don't yeah, I'd want to talk to shakespeare and like, i think i'd actually really want to hang out with aristotle because like Aristotle, uh, I don't know, there's just more to talk to, talk about with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at least all the stuff we know is attributed to him. Like at some point it's like. Yeah. Who knows what ends up. Who knows what, what it was really like. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure some approximation of it and it seems like a pretty cool guy to hang out with. Yep. Well. Unless he's just like a prick and really annoying and you're just like, fuck dude, shut up. Like you're not as much fun as I thought. <laughs> Go back in the goddamn history book. <laughs> it's just terrible shut up dude i'm gonna yeah, go yeah. fucking yeah i need I, I i need to go back and just hang out with my friends you're terrible <laughs> yeah oh one final one final thing so uh as we end tonight's shabbat episode shabbat shalom uh I, I was picking up thai food in my bronco which of course reads j e w c w b y that's what the license plate which is of course a Jew, Jew cowboy. So I'm driving, and the Thai place is right down the road from the Chabad. So you got all these Chabad next. They're, you know, they got the Indiana Jones hat and the side curls and the big ass fucking beards and the Reservoir Dogs outfit, and they're all sh shambling along because they can't drive. Shabbos. And um, I pull up next to them and I roll down my window and I see them because I see them looking at the license. They're like behind me looking at the license. And then they kind of get around me and they, cause I'm driving down this alley and they're walking through the alley. So they're kind of walking around my car and they see the Jew cowboy license. And I rolled down my windows and I go, Shabbat Shalom brothers. And, uh, one of them says Jew cowboy. And then I said, yeah, Jew cowboy, that's me. And then they looked to each other and they both said Jew cowboy. And then they looked away from each other and then they kept walking. 
Like they had to like make the observation, Jew cowboy, then ask me, Jew cowboy? And I had to say, Jew cowboy. Then they had to look to each other and confirm, Jew cowboy. And that was the extent of the conversation. I realized like, oh, I guess they don't think I'm a real Jew because like I'm fucking driving a truck on Shabbat, picking up Thai food. I'm like, to me, that's that's relaxing. I'm like, guys, God does not care about this. Get in the fucking truck and eat some fried rice. It's delicious. I know you you went you you made your wife pre-rip your toilet paper at home or whatever, but in America, in my America, <laughs> we could wipe our own fucking ass on Shabbat, <laughs> eat Thai food, and drive drive a mid-sized SUV, call it a truck. But just... <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we love you. We'll we'll talk all to right. you next week. Peace and bread and bagels and butter.